0: Have a ball at Fenway! We love the old town team. Take the green line to the Sicko sign. We love the old town team. Oh, the kid! Yes, Rem Dog PD, you can wake. Welcome into another edition of the Old Town Podcast, our Red Sox pod here at the Athletic. We asked and you answered over one thousand people taking part in the Red Sox fan survey, and we're going to break down the results. On this week's uh, edition of the podcast, Chad Jennings putting all the numbers together on The Athletic. Check out the stories. It's a two-parter this week. I'm Tim McMaster along with Chad and Jen McCaffrey. As we break this thing down, please subscribe to the podcast. Give us a rating and review. A couple of things stood out to me. Uh, fans are still not happy that Mookie Betts was traded. No surprise there, but that kind of comes through in the numbers. And then fans aren't going anywhere. That was another thing that despite what this team does as far as ownership in the offseason and transaction and moves trading Mookie Betts, the fans are here and mostly here for life. And those numbers come through as well. As you put these together, Chad, did anything stand out to you?
1: No, I mean, I I thought the results were, I mean, most of it was fairly close to kind of what I expected. I there were certain times in there when um, you could really see how divided the fan base is. Where it's just, and most of the division, I think, is just on uh, what to expect about what's next. You know, kind of what what direction it's going to go, and and sort of how quickly they can become contenders again. I was not surprised to see that most people are are kind of down on the twenty twenty team. I mean, that much I think was obvious. Not surprised that people were frustrated that Mookie Betts was traded. That much I think was fairly obvious. It's interesting to see the numbers and exactly how far it goes in one direction or another. Um, but yeah, the 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 idea that everything is still a little bit split on uh, on the expectations going forward. And I was a little bit surprised by how, uh, I guess, some of it seems sort of measured, right? Like a lot of it was really down on current things that are happening, but there was still a, a measure of, of a little bit of optimism, I thought, in there and also a lot of you know, recognizing that even a short-term disappointment in baseball probably doesn't change your long-term fandom, right? I mean, the, particularly the Red Sox fan base has been through, you know, decades of disappointment. And now after you're hit with, you know, two decades of a lot of winning, um, I think maybe some of those old lessons are still there where you go, okay, look, it's it's still, things still could be much worse. and uh, And, you know, there's still a lot of Fans showed a lot of confidence in uh, Hein Bloom. Um, they showed, you know, a lot of belief that ultimately the team can start to win again. And, and I thought a lot of the,
0: the comments about the fan experience seemed relatively positive for the Red Sox. So I want to, for the most part, kind of go in order, and you broke this into six topics, but there's one number that I'll, I'll jump to just because of what you just said about kind of the long-term feeling and really not that far into the future, because this one number kind of shocked me. When will the Red Sox win their next World Series was the question. And 71.7% of the people answered within the next five years. Can you imagine in 2001, or 2002, if you asked, when will the Red Sox win their next World Series when it had been 84, 85 years? That being the answer. And now you're in an offseason where the team's traded away its best player. The The starting rotation is, I mean, I don't want to say a disaster, but but when you think long-term and what's coming, it's, just, it's a problem that needs to be dealt with, and people know how important pitching is. And, Jen, despite all that and the fact that, you know, there is some negativity this offseason. 71.7% of the people that took part in this thing think the Red Sox are going to win the World Series again in the next five years. I was shocked to see that number.
2: Yeah, that was surprising when I was going through this, too. Um, it just, I feel like it goes back to, um, you know, <laughs> whatever the Red Sox do is never good enough uh, because people are always kind of like, okay, like even in 18 when they won, it was, I felt like the, the, the thought process was okay cool when are we winning the next one um which you know i think frustrates fans around the country um you know that aren't red Sox fans because red Sox have won so much and it's uh, the reds you know red Sox fans are just so used to winning so five years you know winning again in five years even though it seemingly feels like a lot of the fan base uh especially on social media is is like down on the team and after you know having traded mookie and everything that's kind of going on with with um cutting payroll and, and all that, um, they still think the team's going to win within five years because that's, you know, just how, how it has been lately. Uh, I think, that I don't know, I thought that was pretty interesting and telling.
0: Yeah, certainly. And um, I'll start with topic one now. We'll get back to that. And, and you titled this one, Chad, Excitement. Um, and just to give some background a little bit on who took part in this uh, fan survey of the people, this is a pretty good breakdown actually as far as ages and how long people have been rooting for the Red Sox, but the biggest group was 30% of the people that were taking part in this fan survey kind of jumped on the bandwagon or got to the age where they were rooting for the Red Sox in the Nomar-Pedro build-up to 2004 era. So I don't think that's surprising considering this is through The Athletic and it's an app and and you're probably going to steer a little younger. You're not going to have the older, older audience, um, so you have that. Um, Then you think some realism here. How many wins did you expect the 2020 Red Sox to have? Uh, 50.4% said 81 to 86 wins. So that's kind of around where they were last year. No big surprise there. Uh, Did this winter change your commitment as a Red Sox fan? 50.5% no. 22.6% a lot. So for the most part, not a major change there. 18.7% did say they expected to watch a few less games, um, of course, with the trade of Mookie and and what's happened this offseason. Chris Sale not being a part of it. Um, Did this winter's moves do enough to help the Red Sox long term? 9.2%. So that kind of swings you back to the kind of anger over Mookie bets that they traded him and, and people... Don't think that that was enough to help the team long-term. What do you expect to find Major League Baseball's report for the Red Sox sign-stealing? Of course, we know the answer to this one right now, but the fans are on top of this. 44.9% said minor infractions, so they nailed that one. Uh, And then this last one I'll I'll jump to here for you guys to talk about. Should they have parted ways with Dombrowski and Cora? Um, I'm not surprised at all that Dombrowski was 80%, yes, Cora, though, 65.4% yes. Chad, do you think that number changes if the MLB report had been out before these surveys were taken?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think it probably would have been, you know, more in favor of keeping Cora if, if you know that the, I mean, the 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 report really went out of its way to, uh, to absolve Cora of any responsibility in Boston, which really surprised me given that, kind of the opposite happened with the Houston report, right? Where they didn't even mention any of the staff staff members or any specific players who might've been, you know, orchestrating the scheme. It was all about responsibility starts at the top and it's all about Jeff Lunau and all about AJ Hinch. And then with the Red Sox, it was sort of the opposite. It was like, well, the, you know, how could Cora possibly know this was happening? It's all this, you know, low level staffer. Um, So yeah, I, I think that the, the, the league's report on the Red Sox probably my assumption would have been it would have, it, it helped Cora you know within the, the eyes of the fan base and saying that, that maybe he should have been kept on board.
0: So your topic two was the confidence questions. You mentioned that John Henry and Heim Bloom both fared pretty well in this one. The majority of people, you basically put it on a one to five scale, the majority of people coming in three, four, and five. So confidence in ownership and confidence in the GM, despite what's happened uh, this winter long-term. Is the current Red Sox farm system capable of providing sustainability in Boston? That didn't go so well. Um, And then a lot of undecided stuff here where people were really kind of down the middle. Uh, People's thought on Chris Sale and how good he'll be after Tommy John. It was kind of all over the map. Uh, level of interest in the opener, which it looks like the Red Sox are kind of heading towards. That was also over the map. So confidence kind of undecided for the most part. Um, topic three was a lost season. So this is kind of digging into the 2020 season. Will Ron Renike ever manage an actual Red Sox game? Uh, 63.1% said yes, but only in 2020, uh, yes in 2020 and beyond was 25.7. So almost 90% of the people confident that Ron Renneke will at least manage a little bit. And that goes with now that we're seeing more and more baseball. I don't think there's a real big surprise there. Um, we got to talk about Mookie and the people's thoughts there. Will Red Sox, will the Red Sox re-sign Mookie Betts? Jen, it's a small percentage say yes, twelve point five percent sixty five point seven percent say they won't spend the money to do it and twenty two point four percent say the Dodgers will extend him and he won't even reach free agency um, This seems like Red Sox fans being pretty realistic, right
2: Yeah, I think that's kind of the uh, the general notion that most of us are getting um, that that's this is kind of the the uh, the way that the future will be for for the Red sox and and mookie' will end up. Either back in LA or somewhere else, um, and then the Red Sox aren't going to use that money they saved to, you know, give him an even bigger extension. I think that's kind of a, a you know, a, a pie in the sky kind of uh, uh, outlook. If uh, so, it sounds it looks like that. You know, fans, you know, are are being realistic about um, the expectations of him coming back.
0: And I think, Chad, it makes a lot of sense because the people that, that took part in the survey also, there was definitely a concern over starting pitching. And I think one of the questions that, that we'll get to at some point, um, what's the biggest need on this team? And it's to add an elite starting pitcher. And it goes to that over and over again. You kind of get that feeling that people realize what the real need is, and it's not Mookie Betts.
1: Right. And also, I just think the reality of it has hit. You know, it's... I mean, ultimately, if you were going to be able to sign the guy, you probably would have by now and and I think there's a feeling of if if ownership is cutting payroll like this, you know are they really going to spend what's necessary to bring him back um, i I will say initially when the trade happened, I would have put the odds of him actually signing an extension with the Dodgers at i mean tiny but i do, I do wonder a little bit if now that he he's going to be entering free agency after this strange you know, a season where, you know, even at the best case scenario, it's going to be a very low revenue, you know, probably lost revenue season for the league, and which means a lost revenue for owners, which means lost revenue for the people who are going to be giving him this next big contract he's been waiting for. Um, I wonder if that does make him a little, you know, less committed to hitting the open market. And if the Dodgers do present him with a a pretty good offer of something close to what he was hoping to get on the open market. I wonder if now that's a little bit more of a possibility just out of any trepidation to sort of take your chances on an open market that, uh, you know, who knows what it's going to be like.
0: Yeah. And of course that, that makes you think back and wonder if they had held on to him. Maybe now the Red Sox would have a better chance of re-signing him um, as well. But, but we will see, um, the other big star, that, that you think about J.D. Martinez, that was a question as well. Will he be back in 2021? Of course, he can opt out of his contract again after 2020. Uh, almost two to one, 63.4% say yes, 36.6% say no. There's some differing reasons there uh, of the 63.4. 44.5% uh, or overall saying it's because of the shortened season. And on the no side, 17.1% um, saying because of Mookie leaving, basically JD has decided to leave. So that, that I thought was interesting, but really not surprising. Um, Here's one that I thought was interesting. If JBJ is done in Boston after this year, how do you rate his career? And I've always kind of thought of JBJ being a polarizing figure, uh, Chad, but in this, if you take, this was another one where it was rated one to five. I think five was, he was a, a great asset to the team. One was You know, not not great at all for for the Red Sox. 92.2% of the people gave him either a three, a four, or a five. Um, I would have thought there would have been a lot more three and then maybe twos and fours and less on the five side. But in this survey, at least, with these over 1,000 fans, JBJ jumps in well as far as his Red Sox career.
1: Yeah, I mean, more fans more fans gave him a five than gave him a one and a two combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and that surprised me. Like you said, I, I tend to agree. I think that he's been a, I think the defense alone has made him a, a, a good everyday player. And then the, you know, he's a streaky hitter, but at the times when he's good, he's been a really productive, helpful, bat at the bottom of the order. Um, so I do think that he's on that, you know, three and above side of the scale, but I think he's just maybe such a, uh, such an easy target, right, for, for conversation, especially, you know, in comparison to Mookie Betts, in comparison to, you know, Ben Benintendi showing up and, and being young and cheap, that I, I think it's just made it easy to say, you know, they should trade him or he's he's not as, he's a guy who, you know, maybe that's a place where you can't upgrade. Um, but I think when it comes down to it, if, if given a chance to evaluate, you know, what he's been for the past six years, it's a it's a positive player and, and, and probably... More popular among the fans than uh, than the day to day narrative maybe suggests because again I just think it's a, he's an easy guy to to almost to kind of pick on and you know look I like Jackie but I've written before about you know times when it seemed like maybe he was at risk of losing a spot in the everyday lineup or they'd have to think about put making him more of a platoon guy or they'd have to think about trading him I mean there are times it just made a lot of sense in comparison to the other players around him but. But in a vacuum, his career here for the past six years I think has been has been good and has been positive and, and I think the fan base ultimately recognizes that.
0: Likeability, Jen, I feel like goes a long way with JBJ, too. I just think people genuinely like the guy, and um, he's obviously won, which which everybody thinks highly of players who have won championships for them. Um, but I've always been on his side as far as in, in this team with the other great bats they have. I always thought it was fine that this guy hit 200 for a while and then could catch fire for a month and carry you but overall not be a big offensive factor but bring that great defense um, and, and I think when all is said and done, it seems like that's how maybe he'll be remembered for the, for the most part for Red Sox fans.
2: Yeah, I think, uh, again, kind of it goes back, back to, you know, there it's it's easy to complain about him because, you know, there's that one thing that's, you know, glaring in, in his uh, resume is that he hasn't been consistent at the plate. But, you know, I think by and large, people recognize he's fun to watch, you know, obviously in the outfield and, um, and you know, is just uh, seems to be like you know a likable guy and um in overall is just uh has been around for so long that I think you know you get used to seeing a certain guy in in a spot so um so yeah I mean and you know I think there's also a little probably a little bit of you know he's kind of fought back through a lot of the struggles that he has had so maybe people um you know admire that in him too um but uh but yeah I think um Again, like I think it's easy for people, you know, to, to complain and whatever um, about about a certain guy. But um, when they kind of actually sit down and think about, you know, a guy's career versus just spouting off on Twitter and the comment section or whatever, um, they, you know, value some they find value in a, in a guy like him.
0: Yeah, and he's a homegrown player too, and that was one of the questions: uh, was do you root for homegrown players more so than than other players? Sixty three point two percent mentioned that they do in, enjoy the homegrown players more. And Chad, you made a good point that part of that is because of the Red Sox and their budget, but maybe a a team like the Pirates would appreciate free agents more because it's not something they experience much.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think if you, I think if you're with a team, if you, if the team you follow spends money you you take free agency for granted um and then you know maybe makes you latch on to the to the players who come up um where yeah like you say i mean i think that other fan bases maybe would feel differently but i also i do think there's probably some uh selection bias there just within our readership you know if you're if you're paying for the athletic and you're reading the athletic you probably are someone who's also you know, studying a little bit more and and digging a little deeper into something like the farm system and actually know a little more about who's coming up and who might have an impact. I would think, you know, probably there's a large part of the fan base that's more casual. that's maybe not as interested in in reading longer in-depth articles who also, you know, has no idea who Bobby Dahlbeck is or Tristan Cassis and doesn't really care, you know, and won't care until they show up and then they're just like anyone else. Um, so I, I would think there's probably some that's th- those numbers are probably specific to our readership. Um, you know, if you were to go to a site like socks dot com, I bet the, the lean is even greater toward, you know, appreciating homegrown players. Um,
0: a little bit of it's just a little, you know, it's, it's a matter of, of which group, which group of fans is answering the question. Yeah, definitely. And you asked the question actually which of those prospects that you mentioned, Jeter Downs, Bobby Dalbeck, Tristan Cassis are gonna have the greatest impact. And it was like completely split. I was this was pretty cool. And I don't know if it's because of the knowledge of these prospects or just throwing a dart at a dartboard, but it was Jeter Downs winning the day 29.3%, Bobby Dahlbeck 28.1%, Tristan Cassis 274 and then Jaren Duran uh, rounded out the top four. No pitchers in the top four, which is pretty obvious as far as where this team is right now. All right, that takes us into part two of this survey, which I think um, just because of the way the questions go in part two, there's, there's a little more discussion here. Um, I especially like these topics where you're making the, the fans taking these surveys actually rank moments over the last decade, which is pretty cool. Best moves and worst moves. And this is a, how it played out as far as the best moves go. Best moves for the Red Sox, um, you basically picked one through 10 and laid these out, and this is the way it turned out. Drafting Mookie Betts, best Red Sox move of the last decade. Number two, re-signing David Ortiz. Number three, the salary dump of Josh Beckett and Carl Crawford. Four, signing Rafael Devers back when he was a teenager. Um, Five, the 2013 bridge deals for Napoli, Gomes, Victorino, and Uihara. Then you had trading for Chris Sale, signing J.D. Martinez, and I don't think there was any surprise in the last one here. Trading for Craig Kimbrell turns out to be last just because I think when you look at the overall impact, especially when the one championship they win with Kimbrell, he didn't even close it out. It's no surprise that that finished last. But were there any surprises, Jen, when you go through these, or is this the way you thought that it would kind of play out?
2: Yeah, this is pretty much the way I thought it would uh, would play out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I... I Obviously, you know, the affinity for, for Mookie is right right there at the top. And same with Ortiz. You know, I feel like that was expected to be one and two. Um, and, and I think a lot of, you know, the fan base understood um, how crucial it was to have that uh, 2012 trade with the Dodgers for, you know, Beckett and offloading Beckett and Crawford and creating that money that allowed them to sign all the guys in 2013. So, um, so yeah, I think uh, this is pretty much, you know, what I would have expected it to be.
0: Well, I will say when I voted, I put Ortiz first, um, and I think I had Betts second, just because when you think about Ortiz's entire career and what he brought, I just think he's he is the Red Sox more than than Mookie was over the last um, five years. But Chad, is this pretty much how you thought it would play out? Yeah,
1: I think so. And honestly, putting drafting Mookie in there, we we almost took that out just because it it felt that's too obvious, you know. And it's also there's no skin in it, right? Like right you take a fifth round pick you pick the toolsy high school player from Tennessee like if that's a total bust no one knows or cares you know um, so that was a little bit different but it is a but it's a massive turning point for the franchise when they when they drafted him uh, a little bit i guess surprised now obviously from this i'm i was trying to pick sort of eight of the best most impactful moves that they've made so all of these were in their own way pretty good um, a little bit surprised maybe that signing JD Martinez was so low, only because if you look at just his impact on 2018 alone, he takes such a dominant season, and uh, and having just seen what the team was like in the absence of David Ortiz and without someone to replace that bat, then they add JD, and that is, I do think that's such a that such a pivotal moment for that 18 season. That you know, maybe I'm surprised that wound up being so far down on the list. Like, if, if you're going to give the 2013 bridge deals, you know, such a you know, a spot at number five. I mean, those were moves that helped a single championship happen. Um, I think JD did the same thing. It's just you know, maybe it's more expensive or whatever. But signing JD did what those bridge deals did, except it also brought you know the the record for the most regular season wins and such a dominant trip through the playoffs that maybe I'm surprised that wound up as low as it is.
0: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And these, the answers for best moves actually kind of play in with the worst moves. This is how the eight panned out for the worst moves. Uh, number one, signing Pablo Sandoval. Number two, not re-signing John Lester. Three, signing Crawford. Four, signing Risney Castillo. It's kind of a who's who in bad contracts here. Uh, five, trading Mookie Betts. six, extending Chris Sale, then signing David Price, and trading Yoan Moncada At the bottom, again, no surprise, because you think of trading Yoan Mankata, and that means bringing in Chris Sale, which obviously was a big part of this, and that trade, I think, is looked upon as fair, probably in both franchises at this point. It seems like a win-win. Now, somehow, Lester snuck in there between Sandoval and Crawford, and I thought Sandoval and Crawford would kind of be neck and neck for one and two, but I think this gives credit to Red Sox fans to realize that this team's biggest problem over the last few years, despite winning championships, has been putting together that solid rotation and the amount of money they've had to spend on the rotation when they could have probably spent less and had that homegrown guy um in there for the long haul i think when i did this jen i actually had lester number one because of that because of the kind of the impact on everything else Uh, but obviously people's venom as far as fans really always swayed a sandoval
2: yeah i thought you know i think that that you know like you said is pretty interesting that i feel like most people tie pablo and and uh uh, tie those like bad contracts together but not re-signing Lester I think just still sticks in a lot of thorn in people's side uh, of just you know what could have been with that um, especially just given how much longer his career and has lasted and how strong he's been over the last several years um, and of course the Red Sox could have used that so um, you know how does that play into if they ever would have gotten Chris Sale who knows but, um, but at the same time you know I think it's uh, it's it's just interesting to see yeah where where it falls in this in this uh, in this ranking.
0: Chad, I know they're close, but I also thought it was interesting that extending Chris Sale ranked as a worse move than signing David Price. Obviously, both these guys uh, were a big part of the 2018 championship, but um, but people feel slightly worse about extending Sale than that original big contract for Price.
1: And it might be sort of fresh in your mind yeah. too. But it, but the other reality is, I mean, if you if you think they're both sort of bad signings, the the price signing at least led to a championship. You know, I mean, they won a title under that contract. With Sale, they have the championship already, and now you've just extended him into this unknown. So you know, maybe you sort of give Price a pass because you already know that in its own way it worked. Um, another thing you we're talking so much about the Lester. One thing about seeing just the actual the raw data that came in when we couldn't we couldn't figure out a way to post all of the data for the rankings, but. No one got – there were more number ones for John Lester, for not signing Le- John Lester than there were for anyone else. Lester got way more number ones, and then you know it kind of was a stair step down. He got a lot of twos, a lot of threes. So Sandoval ends up – in the way that it calculates everything, Sandoval ends up being the number one worst move because he got so many – like every vote for him was either one, two, or three. But there were way more votes for number one as, as Lester so i th- I think you were you were not alone in considering Lester to be the uh the worst move that they've had here in recent years.
2: The other thing about Lester too that I think you know factors in not just that they haven't had the homegrown pitching or you know how good he was, but also just that he you know was was kind of this guy that um like fought back from cancer and people felt i feel really connected to him um and just kind of his story and kind of you know watching him grow through the system. so I guess maybe that does tie into the homegrown you know um aspect of things but uh but just kind of not having pitching going forward I think people you know focused a lot on that but I think there was a lot more of like his backstory that um still is is a reason why it's such a like a personal thing for a lot of people um especially you know coming off that 13 season
0: yeah, and they've seen him go to Chicago and win a championship there and continue to be a guy who was great in the postseason and making big starts and a leadership guy as well. And And it's something that, that wasn't here, even though the Red Sox have gone on to continue winning uh, without John Lester. All right, the next one that I thought was really interesting, best general manager and manager moves. Um, and these are kind of tied together in one graph, but the options were uh, replacing Theo with Ben Charrington, replacing Charrington with Dombrowski, replacing Dombrowski with Heim Bloom, and then replacing Bobby Valentine with John Farrell, replacing John Farrell with Alex Cora, and parting ways with Cora. And what surprised me here was that replacing Bobby Valentine wasn't number one. I, I don't understand. This is the first thing where I'm really scratching my head, and it just speaks to how much people— I think, loved Alex Cora as the manager of the Red Sox because 51.6% said the best move was replacing John Farrell with Alex Cora. That's replacing a manager who won a World Series with another manager who won a World Series versus 29.5%, Chad, that said uh, replacing Valentine with Farrell, which was replacing a disaster with a manager who ended up winning a World Series. I I was shocked by this one.
1: Yeah, but I mean, again, in either situation, you're kind of you're you're getting a championship out of it. But we with Farrell, it played out to the end, right? Like you you got to see the good and the bad with Korra, I think you're only left with sort of this remarkably great season, and then just a sort of a disappointing but still an okay season, and then it just ends. And so I still think that there is with Korra, there's still some benefit of. What might have been and he gets sort of he, he gets to have the benefit of the doubt with Farrell, you ride the ups and downs and, and you know, he had some significant lows and then and, and then you see how it was at the end. And so, you know, that played out and at the end was not very good uh, with Cora, I guess you can still sort of hope for him or believe that there was more to come if he if he'd been able to stick around.
2: I think, too, that, like, fans just got sick of the feral narrative, you know, towards Mm -hmm. the end, and it was, it was, like, grating, and, you know, it was the fire feral hashtag for, like, three years, Um, and it just, you know, I think people were just like, let's get this over with, and they kept, you know, holding on to him, Um, so I think that kind of adds to it, because people are, you know, there might not be as, uh, like, realistic a take on that, just because of of that aspect of things, of just the... uh, And I think in a lot of people's mind, the annoyance of how long, you know, he was around for in a way.
1: Well, and I missed, you know, I wasn't here when he won. And so I, I was only covering the Red Sox, you know, in the years after that. And as a sort of stepping into the middle of the Feral tenure, it was a I had to keep reminding myself, no, he was the manager in 13. Like they won a title under this guy because I never got the sense from the fan that the fan base liked him. Do you know what I mean? It was it was an odd thing to jump into where you were. Felt like I was only here for the parts when they were kind of over John Farrell, and, and you just forgot that he showed up and you know won a really emotional championship. Um, that that so yeah, I do think by the end of his time here, it that that stuff felt like such ancient history that uh, that it had all been kind of replaced by the bad that followed.
0: Yeah, and when you think about those championships, I guess 2013 versus 2018, I feel like Cora maybe gets a lot more credit for 2018 than Farrell got for 2013 because 2013 was so much emotion and there was so many of those those leadership guys that came over and kind of helped lead that team. But he's certainly polarizing when you think about over 80% of the people uh, voted for Farrell's either arrival or departure. In that question, um, the no-brainer of all no-brainers in this one uh, was the next question, which was which of these manager moves was the worst, and he just put a solid circle, Chad, here. 100% was Valentine replacing Frank Kona. Now, was that the action? Nobody voted for anything else? There wasn't even, like, an accidental hanging Chad for anything else? There was only one option. <laughs> uh, we, it was, you know, we just thought... I I thought about I could
1: do like a ranking of those of all those moves, or I, you know, you could list them all again as which one was the worst. But just the reality of which one's the worst, it it didn't seem like even possible that anything else would generate significant uh, (laughs) significant consideration in the wake of of the Bobby
0: Valentine debacle. So we just decided to have some fun with it instead. Um, what does the team need to do next? And this one, no surprise, 58.1% say elite starting pitching. Now, 15.6% say clear the way for prospects and make moves only at the margins. That's a little surprising. Jenny, think about what prospects you're clearing the way for, and, and it's not like, um, you know, Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. and Xander Bogarts are on their way up here. It's a little surprising to me that that checked in at two. Number one, no shock at all. Obviously, starting pitching is the key here. But for for 15.6% to be ready to kind of clear things out for really what's not a great farm system right now is a surprise.
2: Yeah, I think, again, it's one of those things where um, (laughs) I hate to keep going back to it, but it's kind of like what's the next best thing? Like what's next on the horizon? I think people, you know, there are some, you know, names out there, like we mentioned with Dahlbeck and, you know, Casas and, and those guys, but, um, but it's not like you've got like a, a top five, you know, Baseball America top 100 guy um, in, in the, in the system that everybody's chomping at the bit for. So, so yeah, I think it is a little um, interesting in that sense, but again, I think people are always looking for the next guy. You know, I still, it wasn't that long ago where people were, you know, hating on Bogart's endeavors for, you know, not being good enough and not, you know, developing quick enough and how they were failed prospects. And now we know, you know, that they've how far they've come. Uh, So, yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of impatience, but also just a lot of, uh, I think, like a a mixed uh, outlook on a lot of things when it comes to this kind of
0: stuff. All right, so the next topic overall section is the future. And we've already touched on some of this stuff, but there are a few here that I want to uh, get to. Uh, what position are, are the is the team best prepared for? No surprise, the left side of the infield coming through with over 90%, 50.7% for shortstop and 397 at third base for Xander and Devers. Uh, least prepared starting pitching, 75.9%. You throw the bullpen in at 11.4% and you're at almost 90% of the people saying that the issue is pitching in some way. Uh, who will be the best player in 20, in 2022? Uh, Devers wins that with 58.5%. All right, looking to the future now, what upcoming free agents should the Sox sign? Now, we saw the realism a little earlier, Chad, that only 12.5% thought that Mookie would be signed, but 61.9% want Mookie to be signed. So there is a difference there between what people think and what people want.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, and also it's a, you know, you look at the list of of the guys who are going to be free agents and and there are good names here, but that combination of, you know, beloved player young in his prime, you know, could kind of play a few different spots if you need him to, I mean, he could play center, could play right. I I think he still stands out in that class. Um, But I I did think it was interesting that it, you know, I mean, it's 60 percent. It's it's an overwhelming amount, but it's still hundreds of people who voted for someone else. And and most of those either went for the top center fielder alternative, which would be Springer or, you know, probably the top pitcher on the market, Trevor Bauer. I mean, there's there's some recognition here that if you're not going to get him, then you just, you know, I think shift your focus that way. I think if you could for most fans, if you could just say, OK, you're, you're given you absolutely have the money to do it. Money's not an issue which one of these however many players do you want, I would bet it's even more than 60% who would choose Mookie Betts. I think that the fact that it's down to whatever it was, 61% voting for him was uh, just some level of fans being realistic and recognizing it's not going to be him, so we'll vote for someone else.
0: Yeah, I voted for Trevor Bauer just because I was going to vote for a pitcher regardless. And the only two pitchers uh, on the list were Marcus Strowman. And Trevor Bauer. I also would love for them to sign Trevor Bauer just because, I mean, Trevor Bauer and the Boston media would just be, I mean, Jen, it would be so much fun.
2: Yeah. I was, when (laughs) I was looking at these names, I was like, wow, this would be, you know, if Springer came here, obviously he's got the Yukon connection and Connecticut connection, but also he's, you know, an Astro. That I'm not that that would be, I think there would, people would kind of get over that, but at the same time, I still think that would definitely be a storyline of, of you know how that all transpired, and then yeah, Bauer obviously with his personality would be interesting. I think uh, in this market, I don't. I'm. I'm. I'd be curious to see how that would play out.
0: He's so honest. I wonder if he'd be able to continue to do that or not. The things he's been able to say over the years, both on Twitter um, and in interviews, that he's gotten away with in Cleveland and in Cincinnati. Um, it'd be interesting to see how that would play in Boston. But I'd love to see it. So that's why I voted for Trevor Bauer. Plus, I think he's a very good pitcher who's kind of still getting better at his age. All right. Um, I really, I was really excited that this question was in there because I wanted to see uh, how fans voted on this. But which Red Sox number should be the next one to be retired? And this was really split up nicely. It's interesting. Um, Dwight Evans wins the day 33.4% Roger Clemens second 20.3% so the the ice continues to thaw around Roger um, 15.7 is Tony Canigliaro. I'm sure Steve Buckley is part of that percentage he is always um, trying to get Tony C's number up there then Louis Tiant 15.5% and then Manny Ramirez, 15.2%, which was a little higher, Chad, than I expected. Overall, none of these numbers surprise me. But of anything, I think it's that Manny is that high. And I guess that Clemens is is that high at this point. I would still think he'd be a little lower than 20%.
1: Well, especially when we're coming off of an offseason when Evans was on the Hall of Fame ballot again and, and didn't get it. I think that sort of put his career maybe a little bit fresh in everybody's mind again because we've just had this debate about is, yeah. is Dwight Evans a Hall of Famer? Um, but I was not surprised that Evans was the leader of this, that that, that Evans got more votes. I, but I was surprised that it was so evenly split. I mean, it's not a perfectly even split, obviously, but I mean, at least 15 percent for each one of these candidates was uh, I was just a little bit surprised by that. I thought there would be more of a, a clear lean one direction or another. But, uh, that, you know, it's. Evans clearly wins, but it, it was not as overwhelming toward anyone as uh, and, and I really thought that it would be, or at least that you'd see one of these candidates who really got almost no support, and, and that didn't happen at all.
0: I voted for Tony C because Buck has won me over um, officially with all the times he's talked about him. Um, Jen, what do you think? Who, who do you think realistically ends up winning this? Who is the next number retired? Do you think it is, Dewey? Because the Red Sox have kind of, for the most part, stuck to that Hall of Fame line.
2: Yeah, uh, I would say Evans or, or honestly Clint Ligliera would be probably second um, for, for me. Yeah. Um, I could see them doing either one. Um, but, I mean, Evans is around, and, you know, obviously you can't fault Tony C for that, of course, but um, that would be a nice, like, remembrance for, for Tony C, of course. Um, but Evans is around kind of, like, helping out in spring training, and, um, you know, he's just kind of around the team a lot too. Um, not a lot, but a- enough to, to kind of be a guy that you would, you would think that they – you could see them having, like, a ceremony ceremony for. Um, so I would say uh, likeliest might be either of those two guys with, I don't know, Tiant down the line maybe. Um, but uh, that's just kind of, yeah, how I view it.
0: All right. The final topic is fan experience. And I don't want to talk about like, you know, it costs too much to go to a game and the food costs too much and all that stuff. So I'm going to stay away from those questions. But there are some interesting ones. Um, Favorite voice of the Red Sox. And you included uh, Castiglione and O'Brien, obviously, but then some national voices as well that didn't really register at all for fans. So Joe Castiglione, 48.1 percent. Dave O'Brien, 41.6%. Forty-one point six percent. Chad, the one thing that I wondered when I was looking at this was, compared to those two numbers, where maybe it's split between fans watching things on TV and radio. Although seventy-one point three percent of fans still watch the Red Sox on TV, according to to this grouping. Um, how do you think Don Orsillo would have fared?
1: <laughs> yeah, that that came up, you know, pretty quickly after we after we posted it. Um, that's another one that I've, I've come to figure out how much people here still really love him. Um, and so I'm, I'm sure it would have done well. Uh, that really wasn't what we were trying to discover, <laughs> whether, right. whether the fan base really liked Don or but, uh, I, but yeah, I, I, sure. I mean, there's, again, there's a lot of, I think he was, he was well liked when he was here and then, and just, it seems like kind of the way it ended, there's still a lot of nostalgia left for him.
0: Yeah, certainly, and and Jen, obviously, you you remember Don O'Sullivan more so than than Chad because of all the the time there. Um, I just think that I don't think it would have been an overwhelming change. I think maybe he would have out outscored Castiglione, but I don't think it would have been a drastic change.
2: Um, I I honestly think it would be. <laughs>
0: okay, yeah. no, that's fair. I don't fair. know. That's I can. Uh,
2: I don't know. Just the reactions from people anytime his name is mentioned. You know, I think yeah. I think if his name was in here, it would be. Like seventy five percent. I think it would be. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Just that's just the feeling I get. You know, from the general population and how beloved he was, and Joe is too. But, um, you know, I think less. Obviously, less people listen to the radio. Um, and so I think it's just the connection, uh, with Don that that people you know miss and and I think would have, really shown in this this uh, this format.
0: All right. On the analyst side, now this one surprised me a little bit too. Um. So. Eckersley fifty three point nine percent. Jerry Remy thirty six point one percent. Jen, any surprise that that the Eck outscored Jerry?
2: Um, a, a little bit. Only just because Jerry's been around so long, and you know, so many people love him. But I honestly, like Eck has become such a you know a a big force in in the in the booth, um, and just kind of I think that added it's not only that he has you know the the goofiness and kind of some of the phrases he uses and just the way that he presents himself but he, obviously also just the knowledge and kind of the stories he tells and the way he can kind of intertwine both um i think that's people really appreciate that kind of analyst um and and you know i yeah i'm a little surprised jerry um you know didn't win it out here, but um, but I think I think Eck is just kind of that fresh take and um, just yeah, being able to kind of inject a little bit more into into the into the uh, analysis role for the for the broadcast.
0: But Chad, the big surprise here, Alex Rodriguez, thirteen votes. How did that happen?
1: It's amazing. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I really I I was actually stunned. I mean, I'm sure that uh, just I just didn't think anyone would throw him a bone at all. Um, and to get you know multiples, that was surprising to me. I also wonder, what what struck me about Eckersley versus Remy is that that seemed like an honest vote. Like I thought we'd get, I thought there are probably a lot of people who really prefer listening to the way Eck does it. And, and like both of them, don't get me wrong, I think that people, are, they're both, you know, well-liked as, as analysts. But that there might be those who prefer Eckersley really, but just want to give it to Remy, right? Like that he's he's been around for so long and he's so beloved here that you would end up voting for Remy even if you maybe really prefer the way Eckersley does
0: it. Um, I think
1: really it just goes that that they're they're both really well-liked here, and uh, I don't know that there's necessarily a wrong choice between them.
0: All right, final question that we'll talk about is the UniWatch. No surprise, right? Home whites, 74.5%. I will say this about the Red Sox uniforms as a whole, and I'd love your opinions on this, but they've improved. I think the Blues on the road, I mean, the Red Sox road uniforms, historically terrible they got better after like the 80s when it just was Boston and block letters they're certainly better now but those blues really took them to the next level and then Wrapping up a World Series in L.A. wearing the Blues, I think, gave them an even bigger boost. But that said, home white, 74.5 percent. Home red, 15.9 percent. Because let's be honest, the home whites for the Red Sox are just one of the classics in baseball. Right, Jen?
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm surprised that the reds, um, the home reds got as high. You know, I thought it would have been home white. Uh, road blue uh, road bl- yeah.
0: road blues have really picked up some. Uh,
2: yeah. I, I'm not a like Chad. I'm not like our, Sean Leahy. Our editor is obsessed uh, with, with uh, jerseys and uniforms and helmets and all that kind of stuff. Um, Chad and I aren't so much, but, uh, but I am a little surprised that the red, the home reds got as much love, I guess, as they did. Um, I don't like that look at all. Um, I think they should just stick with the white um, like at all times, but uh but, uh, but yeah, that was, I guess, one minor surprise when I looked at that.
0: Yeah, I kind of agree. The The alternate should just be on the road and and forget the red at home. Just wear those classic whites, especially in day games. Um, they just look so good at Fenway. You think of the Fenway green with those bright white uniforms. Um, that's Fenway Park to me. Um, so that wasn't really a surprise. You mentioned Sean Leahy, and he's getting his way, right? Because this survey is now over. But now you can go to the Athletic and you can vote on the overall Boston uniform survey. So that's up next. We're not going to cover that one on the podcast, but uh, Chad, thank you for you could have you could have Sean on to talk <laughs> about it. He will Sean talk would go for two or three hours. Yeah, for, yeah. Just give yourself time. <laughs> so, well, I will say this though, and it, since you guys have talked to him about it, just straight up best uniform of the four major franchises. What is his pick?
1: Oh, uh, uh, oh, oh, the, uh, no, my. Oh, co- you don't. Okay. You think we start we'll-
0: a uniform conversation
1: with Sean? <laughs> no. Jen and I also have things to do. I would, I mean, I I don't know. uh, I would think Celtics, right? Am I wrong? I don't know. Again, I'm like the outsider. That's, I guess. And maybe I'm thinking more like my youth. You know, I grew up in the 80s and, you know, when the Celtics were great. And I just remember looking from afar and the Celtics just have always stood out to me as such a like classic great look. Um, But I don't know. I, I may be totally
0: wrong
2: maybe maybe we'll see in uh in his upcoming results from some of these uh surveys so you can be on the lookout for it
0: yeah it's tough competition in boston because yeah, the bruins, bruins are uniforms good. are classics yeah. the red, they're all classics and the patriots aren't classics but they're you know, I would think Patriots probably finished last, except that right. it's football, so maybe they don't. But um, stay tuned for that coming out on the Athletic. But Chad, thanks for putting all these numbers together. I can't imagine how long it took. Hopefully, you relied mostly oh, on yeah. computers. I mean, all I did is come up with yeah, the stories, an and then,
1: uh, yeah. and then yeah, let the computer do this.
0: Yep. All right, hope everybody else enjoyed this as well, just taking a look at really your thoughts out there as a Red Sox fan base on where this franchise has been and where it's going. Uh, you can save 40% off a subscription to The Athletic, so you can get in there and, and do that uni survey today. Go to the slash wickedpod. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks to the Beantown Swing Orchestra for the music as well. We'll talk to you again next time.